All right. Well, we are back for episode two of our Jaws book analysis. Um, thanks for, if you came back, thanks for coming back and, uh, dealing with our technical difficulties. Um, and I think we're, uh, maybe in a better place today. Uh, you live and you learn, right? So, um, but we are going to start off with chapter six. This is part two. I don't know if I said, um, the last time that this book is actually in three parts. Um, and so, you know, and, and actually now that I think about it and when I went back and kind of looked at these notes, I don't know how you feel about this, Julie, but when I went and looked back, I mean, I honestly feel like that the book was kind of put into these parts. Like I can see why it was. Yeah, me too. It separated it out. And I, when I first looked at the book and I thought, oh, this is in three parts, then reading it totally makes sense. Yes. I would agree with that. So basically where chapter six starts off is we kind of dig into Ellen Brody. And I think um, I may have touched on the fact that Ellen Brody is very different in the book um, than she is in the film. Um, you know, we watched the film yesterday and we kind of, you know, because, you know, we had already kind of done this, you know, the first part of the book. Um, and so we kind of just, you know, we're just dumbfounded, right. You know, by how just different and demure and supportive and doting, you know, that she is in the, in the movie. Yes. Um, so very different, but at the, at the same time in the book, there is the element that she, it's sort of a surface thing. I mean, I think everybody around her assumes that she is the doting wife and that she's the supporting, you know, figure in Brody's life. But in chapter six, we get sort of an internal look at how she really feels about what's going on in her life. Yeah. Um, you know, it starts off where just immediately talking about her and her life and, you know, and this is kind of where she, you know, she, she meets up with Hooper in the hardware store. <laughs> go on from there. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go, baby. Okay. Yeah. So she meets Hooper. Um, so obviously, you know, we're talking about comparisons. So not in the movie. Um, just never, you know, that was never, never even introduced. So basically this whole plot of, um, what we kind of see in chapter six and seven, um, is just completely taken out, um, of the movie. And so basically, uh, Hooper and Ellen meet up. Is it like in a hardware store or a yeah, fish- he goes to the hardware store for something and she goes down there and they just, you know, um, see each other and like, oh, you know, aren't you so-and-so and aren't you so-and-so, you know? Right. They start reminiscing. Yeah. So like on chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, on page nine, 119, um, it says like right in the middle of the book, it says in the page, it says, Ellen looked at Hooper trying to define her reminiscence. So it's like she knew where she had seen him before, but she couldn't quite figure it out. Yeah. And so we find out that, Actually, Hooper and Ellen knew each other. Um, Ellen dated Hooper's brother, who is 10 years older than him. And so we get this whole backstory of how Ellen and Brody, or I'm sorry, Ellen and Hooper's um, Hooper's brother dated. And, um, and then you get like this little, you know, kind of like maybe there was this innocent little, like maybe that he was kind of like, What's the word? Had a crush on her. Yeah, he had a crush on her. Back yeah. Then. <laughs> yeah. So he kind of had a crush on her um, as his brother's girlfriend. And so, like, there's this innocent little flirting. And, and of course, like, if you've seen enough movies, if you've read enough books, <laughs> you're just yeah. like, um, okay, something, you know, some flirty flirt is happening here. Um. But what I thought was interesting and what I wanted to, to bring up. So like yesterday when we were watching the movie, you brought up the fact that when Hooper comes to dinner, um, that, you know, there is a moment in the dinner scene where Ellen and Hooper talk to each other. 
Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned that, you know, does she kind of lean in towards him? And and we kind of had a brief little discussion about, well, you know, body language, if we're going to talk about that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would just say the body language. Yeah, I mean, that, that hints towards, like, yeah, I'm she, interested in she, what you're saying. Yeah, she leans in, and yeah, she's very interested in what he's saying, and she's, you know, really smiling, and, you know, laughing, and, and just interested in him. And here her husband sits at the end of the table, you know, but... I don't know if you hadn't read the book, if you would read into that. Okay. Good point. Cause I was going to, and I think we kind of talked about that too. Cause you know, I, I mean, just watching the movie, I would have never, ever picked that up. But now that I've read the book, it's a whole different thing. Like, and you, you look yeah. at those little things and you look at mm-hmm. those little bitty gestures and you're wondering, okay, you know, did the screenwriters add that in for, you know, is that the nod? You know, is that the yeah. nod to, you know, that relationship that never existed or that existed but is not in the film? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but what was interesting, so it says Hooper, let's see, wait, we're on page. But I did what I did say, and I kind of put in my notes, is that I thought it would have been nice to kind of see that interaction. I mean, they have that brief interaction at the dinner scene, mm-hmm. but I thought, you know, to have more of an elaborate you know, I, I mean, I think it would have been okay for them to have known each other um, yeah. in the film. And I feel yeah. like it would have been okay for them to have had that piece of it. Um, because I feel like it would have added an extra layer to the whole class situation. True. Yeah. And, and they do have a dinner party in the book. It's just that other people come. And right. And we're going to get, yeah, we'll get to that. With a, a girl. And, yeah. And, you know, and really this, Chapter six was just them reminiscing, right? You know, yeah. Chapter what they did back in the day. Yeah, chapter six is reminiscing. Um, and and the one thing that I will say too is that it's interesting because um, eventually he really likes to use, you know, again it's that weird. It's not first person, but it's third person. But sort of you know describing what the characters are thinking, but in third person. Yeah. And so he kind of does that when he says, Hooper let the surprise show, and this is on page 123, Hooper let the surprise show in his eyes for only in an instant. Then he smacked himself on the forehead and said, what a dummy I am, of course, Brody. I never made the connection. That's right. I met your husband last night. He seems like a quiet guy. Quite a guy. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it gives these little brief moments of like, you know, where it's telling you what they're thinking. So, yeah. Um. Okay, and then the biggest money shot for me was on page 124. <laughs> and I put, like, I literally put at the top of my page, loins a burning. <laughs> because she says, um, on page 124, she says, the past, like a bird, long, locked in a cage, suddenly released and was flying at her, swirling around her head, showing her with longing. So he's like, literally, I mean, it's almost like her past is kind of like, okay, here I am. You Uh didn't, you know, this is your life now and your life sucks. And here it is again, this whole life that you used to have. And so, and then like right after that, it says, um, you know, no, I don't dance anymore. So she's, they're having a conversation and then they're talking about dancing And so she's talking about how like she likes to dance, but Martin doesn't like to dance. And so again, it's like that whole, you know, Oh, this was my life, but now this is my life. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then at the end of that chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but on page 126, you get like this really money shot. I, I mean like internal reflection where she really, you know, you know that that she is sad about the fact that that her past is gone and that she is and she literally says a terrible painful sadness clutches at ellen more than ever before she felt that her life the best part of it at least the part that was fresh and fun was behind her yep and that is literally something you would never see in the film like you just don't see that and then she says she hated her life and hated herself for hating it yep yep Okay, so that moves us into chapter seven. Um, and so, you know, the, it gets into this whole idea, like, 
So it, it kind of gets back to the politics situation and it's like, okay, well, there, there hasn't been an attack yet. So let's open the beaches. <laughs> so like there hasn't been a ta- an attack in a hot minute. So we might as well just open the beaches. I mean, um, and so that's when we also see that Ellen decides, oh, she wants to give a dinner party. Oh, I wonder why, you know? And so, I mean, it's just like, come on, lady. Yeah. He's like, why? Yeah. Why? Why would we do that? I mean, and then I'm like on, on, on page 128, like, you know, you, you get to see, you see more of the conflict in their marriage. Um, and you know, it, it says, you know, it has Brody sort of recall, you know, recollecting their last dinner party. And it says he remembered all too well, their last dinner party three years ago when Ellen was in the midst of her crusade to establish her ties with the summer community. So again, we're talking about not only is this a conflict of, of social class, but it's also that 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 struggle within a marriage. Yes. Um, and so you know, it's 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 him not liking the fact that she's still wanting to be a part of this, and it's this constant kind of conflict. But it's never really spoken about until this dinner party, um, until the end of the dinner party. <laughs> first person she wants to invite is Matt Hooper. Sure thing, baby. Sure yeah. thing. She wants to bribe. Like, wants- yeah, what for? He, his, his meal is included in the price of his room over there. So I <laughs> our dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So... You know, but it's also just really funny to watch her play like this whole innocent, like school schoolgirl, like mm-hmm. I have a crush, to, you know, like let me see if yeah. I can get him to, you know, whatever, you know. Um, well then, and then it's funny because then like Brody talks about how, oh, well, Meadows, so the dinner party is gonna include the Brodies um and Meadows, and if you recall, Meadows is the um is the newspaper guy. Yes. Of the town. And so he, it's going to be them and then Hooper and then the Meadows folks are inviting a girl for Hooper so that it can be a sixum. And, but you get the sense that Ellen Brody is kind of jealous a little bit. Um, because she don't want Daisy. I think her name, yeah. Daisy Wicker to be coming in. Yeah. Daisy to be, Hitting up on her thing that she's trying to get. And she says in here, um, you know, he, uh, he asked what time the people come in. Uh, the Meadows and Daisy at 730. I asked Matthew for seven. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> about that. Says, I thought his name was Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are y'all dating? I mean. <laughs> and, you know, because my son's. Matthew. Right. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I just, we call him Matt. But if something, you know, you know, you call him Matthew when they're in trouble or, you know. Yeah. You know, you say the full name. Right. So when she said that, I, you, you know, Matthew for seven. <laughs> kind of a little early. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like she's literally having an affair right in front of her husband's face. I mean, it's I just like. I mean, and it's just like, and I guess that's why, I mean, it's just hard because I had such a innocent image of her. And so I feel like this kind of tatters it a little bit for me. Um, But at the same time, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. But okay. So um, that's what, oh, I literally... I literally put that, I literally put this in my notes. Okay. So they come to the dinner party. Okay. So the dinner party happens, but like, and so Brody starts drinking. I mean, cause he, he starts to pick up. I mean, he, he doesn't necessarily pick up on the connection between them, but like, I mean, it's literally like they're having a date at the dinner party. Like, I mean, because literally it says that she touches him occasionally. Yeah. And Brody Oh yeah, he sees it, and he is one hundred percent threatened by it. Um, he it literally says that it says he was fighting anger and confusion, and he was losing. 
He felt threatened, as if an intruder had come into his home possessing subtle, intangible weapons he could not cope with. <laughs> so, I mean, like, he's threatened. And, but at, you get the sense at first that he doesn't really know why, but he's, it's like he sees it and he doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not until he starts connecting the dots, you know, like whenever she comes mm-hmm. back from, you know, what we'll talk about in a second. But I mean, Brody's a cop. He ain't stupid. Yeah. And then, you know, when uh, Matthew comes to the door, <laughs> Matthew, um, he has a gift for her. Oh, true, yeah. He's yeah, got, yep. Brother Brody has a gift for her. Sure does. A shark tooth, but, you know, still. And then, like, immediately, she's like, Brody, go get me a chain. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like, literally, that's what I'm saying. Like, literally, it's like these two people are on a date right in front of her husband. And I'm just like, what in the hell? Um, another thing I pointed out too is like, I thought it was interesting that like a couple of, you know, the, the, I think the tooth that he gives her is a, is a tiger, tiger shark tooth, I think. Um, and, and then also they allude to a tiger shark on 139 or no, wait, was that 139? Oh no, no. 138. Oh yeah, one thirty-eight. When Hooper tells the boys the story about, um, well, I'm just, actually I'm assuming it's a tiger shark. It doesn't say that. I mean, tiger sharks are considered like the garbage cans of the sea, and so the shark he's kind of talking about to the boys is that. So I'm just assuming it's a tiger shark, but I don't know. My internal Englishy brain wants to make the connection that that's why they used a tiger shark in the scene in the film, but I don't know that that's why. But yeah. Um, so, okay. So I I mentioned that Brody starts drinking. And so she actually at one point kind of checks his drinking and she's like, why are you drinking so much? And so there's kind of this tension that's going on in the party. Um, and so like, you know, the tension that he sees towards Ellen and Hooper just begin, just continues to build. And, um, yeah. So, Oh, one of the things that I wanted to point out. So on page 142, um, I, like this quote from Brody. Oh my gosh. Like I literally heard Roy Scheider saying it. Like, it's just like, I mean, okay. He says, well, if she get, oh, he's talking about Daisy. Okay. So Daisy is this like weird hippie, you know, like uh-huh. weird hippie chick. And she's like talking to them. <laughs> Talking to them at dinner about G and G, which is basically where you eat. Um, what is what is that soup? Get, 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 starts with a G. Uh, My mom has made it before. Gazpacho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that member, she serves that soup. So she serves that soup, but then she calls it G and G, and it's basically you know like where you put marijuana in your yeah, soup. Yeah. And she asked Hooper if he had ever tried it. <laughs> And, um, but, but it just seems like that, like every time he, you know, they kind of have a moment, Ellen seems to be a little jealous a little bit. Um, but anyway, so back to the quote. So that's who Brody is referring to, because I guess this girl, Daisy is just not like, she's just a flaky chick, you know, like a typical, like a hippie. And I shouldn't say typical hippie, but you know, I mean, just like the hippie that just like, Hey man, you know, you know, that kind of thing. So, but anyway, Brady says, well, if she, if she talking about Daisy, if she gets any franker with me, she's going to be out. I'll tell you that he picked up the two drinks and started for the door. Like I could just like hear him saying that. Well, I'll, well, if she gets any franker with me, she's going to be out. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Like I don't know why it just made me think of him. Yeah. But his humor, you know? Yeah. It's just, yes. I just felt like it came out. Oh, the G and G thing comes after that. Oh yeah, okay. grass, grass and gazpacho. That's what G and G stands for. <laughs> grass and gazpacho. Um, okay, so after the dinner dinner party, you know, Ellen and Brody have a big blowout, and basically she's just like, "How could you act like a a butthole?" Essentially yeah. during my party. Yeah. Um, and so the tension continues to build. Um, and you know, it's just interesting because, you know, I I just like everything about what they were eating 
and uh-huh. you know was very shushu. It was very shishi. It was very um, bougie. Well, she made that lamb exactly, and that's like a and, bougie meal from you know yeah. that's a bougie meal. And she said, "Oh, it's done." And he said, "This is not done," you know. And and he gets back up. I think he goes to put it back in the oven or something. Yeah, you know he can't eat it because he's still sick in his stomach. <laughs> yeah, which is he kind still of can't eat meat. Yeah. Okay, so then like so then like the dinner party just keeps going, and um, yeah. he. So, like, they were just constantly touching each other. Like, on 148, it says, And it did. His head began to clear. Ellen was touching Hooper again. Talk and touch. Talk and touch. And so, like, Brody is seeing this. Like, he's seeing all that. Um, And so then, you know. (laughs) And then, like. And then tells you. And then, like. Hooper is is sitting to her left. And Brody is at the end of the other end of the table. Exactly. And So, so. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And so, and then like on page 150, like this is the, <laughs> on page 150, she literally says, so everybody's leaving. And like to Hooper, she says, don't go. The words, <laughs> and then it literally says the words came out much stronger than she had intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the night is young. It's only 10. Oh my I'll gosh. I'll be like, y'all go home. It's 10. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> For real. So, like, I mean, literally, going back to what I said, I mean, it's like, literally, these two people were on a date, <laughs> like, in front of their, in front of her husband. It was just, it's kind of bizarre, and it makes me have a weird um, impression of Ellen. But, so, okay, so then they have the big blowout, and, like, after everybody leaves, and, you know, like, she basically tells him flat to his face, you were awful. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's like, you were awful. Um. And so, you know, he says Brody was ready for a fight, but he backed off sober enough to realize that his only weapons were cruelty and innuendo. So it's like he knew in that moment that, um, you know, like whatever he was going to say was going to be hurtful and it wasn't, and he still loves her, obviously. And um, so, yeah. And he says, um, you know, they're fighting and, you know, she says that he's going to wake the kids and he says, I don't give a damn. I'm not going to let you stand there and work out your own hangups. Ooh. I tell my shit. Good call. So, I mean, it's obvious, like, yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Well, so that's the end of chapter seven. And so then here we go with chapter eight. Um, so chapter eight um, so, you know, they wake up, obviously they had just had this fight. Um, you know, they, you know, there's still kind of tension there. And so already they're kind of like, you know, kind of into each other and digging at each other in the morning. Um, so, okay. So this is the chapter yeah. <laughs> where things get really interesting. Um, so basically on page 154 at the very bottom, it says Ellen looked at the clock on the kitchen wall. It was a few minutes to eight too early, maybe, but better to catch him now. So she's like wanting to call Hooper. She's wanting to call Hooper and I'm going to say air quotes, have lunch because I'm for sure. She ain't going to want to just have lunch. Okay. So then there's this whole thing about planning on where to go. She literally elaborately plans to go in Sag Harbor, which is far from where they are. Um, and so, cause she doesn't want anyone to see them. Exactly. And he's like, well, you know, why you want to go? You know, he was questioning why she wanted to go that far, but I mean, yeah, and he got he got it in the end, but well, yeah, and like, didn't you think he, he was kind of oblivious at first? Like he was oblivious. Yeah, he didn't yeah. really. I mean, which is kind of uh, boys are like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, oblivious. like he was kind of oblivious at first. Like he didn't really. Like I don't think he got that she was coming on to yeah. him. Um, exactly. and, and like, he actually even says at one point, you know, he's like, well, we're married to our, I think he says that in a little bit, but like, he's like, I'm married to fish. And so like, you get this whole idea that like, you know, he literally doesn't ha- probably have a whole lot of contact with women because he's always out on right. the boat and, you know, doing all that thing. And so, um, whenever he can get a pace, <laughs> yeah. he probably does. 
Um, but I just thought it was funny. So like on page 157, you know, she starts kind of like looking at her body and, and just like evaluating, you know, getting her body ready for some loving, I guess, or not loving. Cause I probably yeah. love, um, okay. And then, so like it says like, she didn't know exactly when she had decided on this manifestly rash, dangerous plan. It's on page 158. She had been thinking about it and trying not to think about it since the day she first met Hooper. She had weighed the risks and somehow calculated that they were worth taking. Though she was not entirely sure that she could gain from the adventure. She knew she wanted change, almost any change. She wanted to be assured and reassured that she was desirable, not just to her husband, but for she had grown complacent about that. But to the people that she saw as her real peers, the people among whom she still numbered herself, she felt that without some remedy, the part of herself that she most cherished would die. So that's pretty, like, I mean, heavy duty. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh-huh, it's funny, she wanted an injection, a transfusion of the essence of her past. Yes. Super. Yes. Possible donor. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So they get to the restaurant and we're just going to kind of move to the, we get to the restaurant yeah. and, um, you know, they're at the restaurant and, and, and again, it's kind of like back when they're at the dinner, you know, there's like light flirting. He's still kind of oblivious at this point. Well, um, huh? You know, she went to work first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She goes to work. We forgot about that. She took a bag. Uh, yeah. Oh, Cause so well nice. that, yeah. So like, yeah. And that was kind of my whole like sex prep thing. Like, she yeah. did, she did like, you know, she was checking out her body and she like literally yeah. gets a bag ready to go have sex. <laughs> yeah, then, she, then she's like, I'm sick. I gotta go home. Yeah. Up. So like when they're at the dinner, so they're at dinner and, and you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, things are kind of awkward at first. Um, but you know, they're, they're still kind of, she's, she had the intention at first, but there's like still some hesitancy. Um, and you know, she's still not quite sure she wants to go through with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they kind of, they, you know, they have their basic little conversation, but then it's just like, and then on page 167, Hooper decides to order some wine. We know what happens when wine is ordered. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to address something on page 169. Um, We did not talk about any of this yesterday, but I want to address it. I just don't feel like how we can't in this day and age not address it. But okay. On page 169, um, they're having a conversation about, um, you know, sex. Okay. And, and they're talking about like having sex and they, they end up creating, she ends up like they, they, yeah, they do this whole fantasy thing. And so like, it's this whole thing where they, they start talking each other in, in fantasies, like, you know, well, I'm going to, what, what if I went and did this and you know, like this whole sex fantasy thing Uh and I'm, I'm not going to be real. I'm going to be like, Hmm, that sounds kind of hot. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. So Anyway, so, but anyway, they start talking and they start talking about, you know, sexual things. And, um, you know, she, he asks her, do you ever have an orgasm? And she says, sometimes she says, not always. Is he big? Tall? Not. So again, this is all fantasy. They're talking about a fantasy. Uh They had been speaking very softly and now Hooper lowered his voice to a whisper. I don't mean tall. Is he, you know, big? Usually, said Ellen, she chuckled, huge. Is he black? No, I've heard that some women have fantasies about being raped by black men, but I never have. Okay, so I want to address this because um, there is another part. I'm not going to go back and read that part, but there is another part at the end of, I think it was like chapter five or six. Um, that it's kind of racist. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Um, you know, some of the things in the book just, I mean, it's not very culturally sensitive. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be real. I mean, it was written in 1974 or three ish. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, some of the things in this book are, are not very culturally sensitive. And, um, and so, you know, reading this book, you know, kind of going through what we've been going through over the last, you know, months and years for that matter. Uh-huh. 
um, you know, kind of gives you a different perspective about it. And that's one of the things that I love about literature. And I honestly love about reading books from time periods that um, are before mine, because you have a completely different perspective about some of the things that happen in a book. And I can look at this book and, you know, I mean, yeah, is, is there that quote unquote, you know, what is, what is the word I'm looking for? Is it, is, is that the rumor (laughs) that black men have bigger wieners? Yes. I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, right. People say that, but um, that's also, I don't know that you can necessarily say that without, you know, adding some sort of racist context to that. Cause that's not really, I don't know. That's really a thing for sure. You know? So I, I just wanted to bring that up because I do want to address that. I don't want to completely, you know, jump over it and pretend like it's not there. Cause that's not how I roll, but, um, I did want to touch on it, but I'm not going to dive into it and make it all about that. But I just think it's, it's interesting to sort of evaluate that, you know, this is a different time period and they approached things differently. Um, and so that's what it is anyway. So we're going to skate on by that. And they kind of continue the fantasy thing. Um, and you know, she starts 50 shading it. Um, and she starts talking about things that she wants to do. Um, (laughs) you know, he does too. And then, yeah. When do they? And then so finally, like he finally, you know, well, I mean, obviously now he gets what's happening, but even at the beginning when they first started doing the fantasy thing, I still got the impression that he still was just playing. Like he still didn't get that she was like literally coming on to him. Yeah. And she says, finally, you know, this is where she says, um, Ellen impulsively said, let's make a fantasy. So that's how that thing started. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, I'm just laughing because, so she gets home, of course, and, you know, she takes a bath and she don't want the sex stink on her and, like, all that stuff. So she she takes a bath and and then, like, on page one, <laughs> she starts recalling, like, the sex. And then she, ta- she, like, recalls the fact that his eyes look like it was about to burst out of his sockets <laughs> when he released. And I just was like, okay, well, he probably hadn't had some in a while. So that's probably why. Um, and then of course the lies begin and Brody starts asking her questions. He start, I guess he caught, he tried to call her at one point and she was nowhere to be found. And so, um, there's that whole thing. And so that leads us into chapter nine. And so like here again, we've, we've just literally been through how many chapters, two or three, three, no, two. Two, six, seven, eight. No, three, three. That's fine. So we've been through three chapters, but we still haven't talked about the shark yet, you know, anymore, really. And so, again, all the more pointing to the fact that that this book is, you know, it was never really about a shark. (laughs) Like, the shark is not, you know, like, it's not really, you know, it's about these relationships, you know, on land. And it's, the, the shark is merely a catalyst that exposes the root of all of these people's mess. And um, so then moving on to chapter nine. Okay. So chapter nine is where it gets in back to the more political aspect and um, the more political angle of things. Um, So Brody goes to um, the board meeting, which is similar to how you see in the film. There is that, you know, the meeting where he goes and then that's where Quint scratches his fingers on the board. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but when he walks in, basically the room is filled with people. Um, and on page 179, it says, as soon as he was inside the office, Brody knew he would be fighting alone. So he knew that he would be by himself. He knew that everybody's, you know, focus was going to be, what can we do to keep the town open? And so he knew that he was up against, um, an obstacle to, to convince these people to do what they should be doing. Um, and so, and then Brody says like on page 180, he says, suppose you open the beaches and the fourth on the fourth and, and, and someone gets killed. And then he literally says, Vaughn, the mayor says it's a calculated risk, but I think we think it's worth taking. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then, you know, that just is like, hey, hey. 
Sorry for the dog barking. And so then it says, why? And so he says, why? Vaughn said, Mr. Hooper. And so then he turns to Hooper. And so then I thought this was interesting. Because in the film, Hooper's very much like, this is not the shark. You caught the wrong shark. This is not a shark. This is not a boat act attack. Like from the very beginning, he was like, shark, shark, shark. But then in the book, it says the top of page 181. So then when he refers to Hooper, he says, Vaughn says, Mr. Hooper, several reasons, said Hooper. First of all, nobody's seen the fish in a week. So Hooper is the one that's kind of defending the town. He's the one that's kind of like, well, we haven't seen him. I've been on patrol. I've been out in the middle of the night. I haven't seen the shark. So I don't really see a reason. So like even Hooper is doing that. Um, and so then, so then like they're having this, this, this conversation and then on page 182, you know, they're kind of going back and forth about what to do. And then on page 182, you know, he brings up, cause remember last time we talked about that Bro they blamed Brody for not, not closing the beaches, um, before Kittner died. And so, yeah. and so then Brody says at the bottom of page 182, he says, and when someone else gets killed, who's going to take the blame this time? Who's going to talk to the husband or the mother or the wife and tell them we were just playing the odds and we lost? And so we knew at the beginning, it would be him either way. He, you know, he just, either way, they're going to blame Brody. Right. Don't open it. Open it. Blame Brody. Yep. And, and on top of that, like, I mean... You know, then, then they threaten his job, you know, uh -huh. and it's just like, we can find somebody else to fill your job. <laughs> and, and so like at that point, he's just like, what do you do? You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, so then it comes out, um, Meadows again, who is the reporter ends up sharing some interesting information. And that information that is shared is basically that the mayor is up to his eyeballs in debt. And yep. in loans by a loan shark. And so there's this whole, there's this whole other plot where he, you know, that's why he's nervous all the time. That's why he's like, you know, that that's why he's desperate to keep the town open because all of his investments and things related to keeping the town open are, are, are tied up with these mob people. And so anything that, you know, disrupts that is going to come back on him. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, Meadows is like, you know, he knows all this information and he was ready, you know, and then, you know, he actually tells Vaughn, you know, and Brody, like all the stuff. And then um, Vaughn's like, if you, if you print one word of that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it just talks about this, this uh, corporation that was formed and, you know, all that. Yes. Um, and and so basically Vaughn is in trouble. Like, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, and, and he's he, up to his yeah. eyeballs and debt. And he talk, actually, whatever. yes. And he actually ends up confessing that to Brody on page 189. Um, it says Vaughn looked up and Brody saw that his eyes were red and wet. I swear to you, Martin, if I had any idea how far this would go, I'd never gotten into it. How much are you into and for the original mount was 10,000. I tried to pay it back twice a long time ago, but I could never get to my cash, cash, my checks. They kept saying it was a gift not to worry about it, but they never gave me back my marker. When they came to me a couple of months ago, I offered, they, I offered them a hundred thousand dollars cash. They said it wasn't enough. They didn't want the money. They wanted me to make a few investments, everybody to win, be a winner. They said, so basically they were just trying to keep him indebted to them. You, you know, like they didn't want his money. They wanted, they wanted him to be indebted to them. Um, and so he couldn't get out of it. And so it does say on page one, uh, 90 that Brody feels compassion for Vaughn, uh, despite the fact that he was an asshole to him. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, you know, he says he has compassion. Um, but on page one 92, Brody actually experiences ramifications of Vaughn's decisions when one of the mob people comes to his home, takes his cat and breaks its neck in front of his kid. Yeah. Yep. I was kind of surprised at that, that little scene in there. I know me too. That was kind of crazy. So that is kind of the end of chapter nine. So it ends with basically the mob people coming and picking up Brody's cat 
<laughs> and breaking its neck right in front of the kids. And so, like, now he's just like, what the hell? Brody takes it over to, he takes it over to Vaughn's house. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he takes, go ahead and talk about that. Okay, so he takes it over to Vaughn's house and, you know, pushes it in his face and, and uh, you know, says, um, oh, yeah, he says, what about this, you cocksucker? <laughs> And he acts like he don't know what Brody's talking about. And he says, did you call your friends after I left? And he said, well, yes, but just to say the beaches would be open tomorrow. And, you know, he said, that's all you said? And he said, yes, why? And so Brody told me he was lying. And and here, you know, this is what he did to my cat in front of my son, you know. Yeah. And, And, of course, he's like, oh, I don't know. Of course I don't know, you know. Yeah. Anyway, same old thing. Yep. So okay. he just leaves it there. He just leaves it there for Vaughn, you know, laying there on the steps. And the he thing, just leaves the cat. And the thing is, is like again, that's like so Brody. Like even though like that didn't happen, and obviously that had to be taken out because that plot was you know taken out of the the film. But yeah. But like you know, it's just Brody. Like you could totally see him doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Just more of his dry humor. Yeah. Just his way. Yeah. Okay. So chapter 10 takes us into, um, it kind of starts with where, um, you know, like it, it, he kind of, you know, it kind of just blatantly says he's ready for Hooper to leave. <laughs> like, um, he's like, I, you know, he wanted Hooper to go back to Woodhull. It was not just that Hooper was always there. The expert voice to contradict his caution. Brody sensed that somehow Hooper had come into his home. Oh, guess uh-huh. what? You cop instincts are right, sir. Uh-huh. Um. So, but really, it's not though. That's what's weird. Like it, his instincts were right, but it wasn't Brody. I mean, I'm sorry, it wasn't Hooper that was in- instigating it. You know. So. Right. Okay. So then it kind of goes through like this whole little conversation, um, where you know, like he kind of questions Hooper where he was at a certain time. And, and like Hooper gets really defensive because he was with his wife. I mean, and so obviously he's going to be defensive about it. Um, so, okay. So then this, the, the, really the next rest of it, um, is you get this, this little side. And I think there's a mirror of this in the film, the mirror in the film is probably um, a combination of a couple of different things. The scene in the film where the two men um, basically put a hook on a ham hock and threw it out. And then the, yes. the dot breaks and all of that. Yes. Um, in addition to, um, what was the other thing? that I was going to say like maybe the dog, you know, cause like the dog disappears, um, uh-huh. at that one part. Oh, just the pond scene. So the pond scene where they're in the pond, the boys, and then, you know, that man in the little rowboat. Cause that's the first time you really see the shark Yeah. in the movie yeah. is that little man in the rowboat. So I'm assuming that this whole scene in the novel was, you know, was sort of the inspiration to maybe a couple of those scenes because um, basically this whole, whole chapter, you get a family that is from out of town um, who came to see the shark. (laughs) Exactly. They go down the beach just to see the shark. They drove from, I don't know, Boston or somewhere. It was, it was, I think it was from somewhere in New York. I feel like I thought it was from somewhere in New York, but I mean, so like they want to see, the shark. <laughs> yeah. So like they want to see the shark. And so they, um, you know, they they have their cameras and like, I, like I just visual it like with their, their little sunscreen on their nose, like and their little, their little flipper, you know, things over their, their glasses for their, like, I don't know why I just picture that. But I mean, so you just have this family they're like, we want to see the shark. So now it's like, you've got this whole media thing. Like the media has made this thing. And so the people now are swarming because they want to come see the shark. Um, So you get this little plot with this and the family. Um, It's similar, like I said, to the pond scene where you see like all the, they're monitoring the beach. Um, They've got the boats out. Oh, and the kids. So in the movie with the little kids with the the shark fin um, Mm -hmm. that they pull out of the water. So I think that the scene is kind of reminiscent of that. Um, 
And so, but, but instead of the boys and instead of all that, um, you get uh, some teenagers. Exactly. They're daring each other. Who's going to go out and swim? Yep. So the teenagers start kind of daring each other, you know, who's going to go out and swim. I'll put, what is it? 10 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> that? Oh, no, I guess back in 19, t- I guess back in 1974, that was a lot. <laughs> You have to give me a lot more. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're just kind of daring, daring the kid. And then Brody kind of has a moment with him and he's just like, why do you feel like you have to do something, you know, just to show off? Yeah. And two on page 210 and 211, um, you get some more of the fish point of view, you know, it says below the fish sense the change in the noise, you know, and the fish turned and just the fish had risen to within a yard or two of the surface. It's a little bit more of the fish. Yes. Point of view in there. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So like two ten. Okay, yeah. That's a good call. So like at the bottom of that page, um, where it says the fish had sounded now. So, uh-huh. um, I think that's, that's really cool because we don't see that in the book. I mean, I'm sorry. We don't see that in the film. There's not really, I mean, we get the music in the film, you know, the yeah. music is what tells us the shark is coming. Yeah. But in the book, you know, we literally get words that tell us what the shark is doing, which is interesting. Um, and so that, that kind of, you know, I just, I don't know, like comparing that to the film, um, I think it, it adds more suspense, obviously in the film, because if they would have put something, if they would have shown the shark coming, that doesn't add suspense, you know? Right. So. But the music does. Ouch. Yes. Okay. So on page 212, um, the shark does attempt to attack. Um, and it says, Hooper put the boat in reverse to back away from the waves. As he looked off the stern, he saw a silver streak moving in the gray blue water. It seemed part of the wave motion, but it moved independently. For a second, Hooper did not realize what he was saying. And even when the realization struck, he did not see the fish clearly. He cried, look out. All right. So this attack um, doesn't actually happen, but it's a close attack. So it's kind of like, um, you know, like it kind of makes me think of like Brody's kid in the water. So it's like it almost attacks him, but, you know, like it just kind of swims by him. Um, And then, but then you get more of the fish again on 213 where it says the fin dropped beneath the surface and following the slope of the ocean floor and the fish moved into the deep. Um, And so it looks like it's about ready to charge. Um, But then you like, so then after the whole thing happens, um, incidentally, also in this chapter, it talks about how the media shows up because obviously the media has heard about all of this. And so now they're ready to come get a story. Um, and so I put idiot media next to page 215 because it's just like, it's literally my, the thing I hate the most. Um, like as, as a former journalist and as, well, I guess I'm still kind of a journalist, I guess, but not just doing my own thing. But like, I mean, literally the worst question you can ask somebody, how does it feel? Really? I mean, that's literally the worst. And then just say, how do, how do you feel about seeing somebody almost attacked by a shark? Well, how the hell do you think? I mean, I know. <laughs> like, are you skipping break? So yeah, I put idiot media because the guy's like, "How do I feel?" Or no, he says, "In retrospect, chief, how do you feel about having opened the beaches today?" <laughs> oh my gosh, you idiot! Okay, so but he's looking for a soundbite. That's what he was looking for. Yeah. Listen, you jerk, Brody said. A boy almost got killed just now, and you disapp- you disappointed that didn't happen. Are no? Are you disappointed that didn't happen? So it's just like, again, that sounds just like Brody to me. It does. Oh, this is funny. He says, I don't know what we, what can we do? Christ, I'd rather have a hurricane or even an earthquake. (laughs) At least after they happen, they're over and done with. You can look around and see what's been done and what has, what's been done and what has been done. I don't know what has to be done. We know what you got to do. It's not lingering out from the water. You don't know what's coming. Yep. And so on 218, um, you know, interesting, they're still holding on to wanting to keep the town open. They're still wanting to hold on to it. 
Um, the town survives on its summer people, Mr. Whitman. Call it parasitic, if you will, but it that's the way that it is. And that's kind of what gives me the creep factor. Um, and I talked about this when we were watching the movie yesterday. It's almost like, you know, it kind of reminds me of this whole Stepford wife situation where it's kind of like, we will do what we need to do to, you know, and there's just like this blank face and everybody's just doing and doing and doing. And, and just because that's what's supposed to be done. And like, nobody's really thinking about the ramifications of their actions. And it's just crazy. And then, um, on two nineteen is where Quint comes in. Yep. Says, so, do you know anything about some fella named Quint? So that's, this is where he's coming in. Yep. So yep, Quint comes in and comes in full force. <laughs> yes, he does. Just like Quint in the film. And again, uh -huh. um, can't say enough about Robert Shaw's performance in that. Um, because he nails Quint just like the, the others. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got that matter of fact, like he's legit the kind of guy that I'm going to do my own thing. And I really don't give a damn what you think. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm going to tell you what you should do. And I still don't give a damn what you think about me telling you what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just very, you know, I mean, I don't know, but you also, obviously he's a very hard guy, you know, like he's been through some stuff and, and that is one of the things in the film that I just am, that's what makes me love the film so much more because I, I just can't imagine. Could you imagine Jaws without the USS Indianapolis scene? Like, no, like there's just no way. And so like, if they would not have given Quint that backstory in the film, we wouldn't have yeah. that. Cause that's not in, I it's mean, not he, in the book. He needed, he needed some backstory. Yeah. He needed some backstory. <clears throat> okay. So page 223, we're actually almost done with this part. Um, and then we will finish up part three tomorrow. tomorrow. Um, but so on page 223, it says Brody looked across his desk at Hooper. The last thing he wanted was to spend his days on a boat with Hooper, <laughs> especially in a situation in which Hooper would outrank him and knowledge, if not authority, he could send Hooper alone and stay ashore himself. But that he felt would be capitulating, admitting finally and irrevocably his inability to face and conquer the strange enemy that was waging war on his town. So it's just about sensing it. He knows he just doesn't like, he, he doesn't, he senses that probably something happened. He doesn't know for sure. Um, he just don't like, there's that tension. And again, I mentioned this in the, when we were watching the film yesterday, that the tension in the film is more between um, Hooper and Quint. But in the book, because of this whole plot with Ellen, the tension in the book is more between Brody and Hooper. So that that tension kind of continues to build um, as we move into the third part. Yep. And that's really, I mean, that's really all of that part. Yep. And so that's pretty much all it. Um, so that's the end of chapter two, um, chapter two, section two, um, <laughs> section two. Um, so we shall finish this up for you guys tomorrow. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you later. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow. <laughs>